Well, good morning. You all can take a seat. And kids, uh, any elementary age kids are welcome to join Pastor Becky and friends. Uh, we have a bunch of the little ones that are already back there. We have our special kids table program. Um, thanks so much, guys. Great to see all your smiling faces here in person and also everybody online. I can't see your smiling faces, but I know that you're there as well. And I want to welcome you. We always want to welcome our online guests um, and, and weekly worshipers, really. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church. It's, if it's your first time with us, we are especially glad. And if you've come back after Easter, that's really cool, too. I don't know about you, but we had an amazing Easter celebration, really, um, in the weeks leading up to that with our extravaganza and Holy Week and services and our, our time together last week is such a celebration. And that continues. That's the good news here. And hopefully you received a... Um, a bulletin or a, a worship guide on your way in. If you did, um, you can follow along in that. That's your guide for to take home. There's some notes in there. If you're like the note-taking type, you like to check things off. And um, I also want to encourage you just in your own time, there's some questions that are kind of on the last page here. We call them doggy bag questions. I'm a cat fan, so it might be kitty bag questions, something like that, something to take home and chew on. These are for you to just think about, maybe talk about with your family, maybe you're part of a discussion group, um, or just in your devotion time, a great way to reflect. Um, so I, I realize um, that growing up, isn't it true that oftentimes parents will give their kids experiments to test their readiness to grow? Isn't that true? Um, and maybe if you reflect back to your childhood, you can remember such an experiment that you were given. Um, maybe you remember for you, it's the first time your parents decided to leave you home alone, right? Home alone, the responsibility was up to you, what you were going to do in the house. And especially those of us who grew up the days before like uh, webcams and anybody could kind of spy on you and watch. Um, Maybe it was the first time that you were given responsibility for another human being. Maybe it was a little brother or a little sister. Uh, maybe it was a friend or a neighbor that somebody asked you to babysit for the first time. Um, maybe it was the first time you got a set of car keys and they allowed you to go take the car by yourself, not with the chaperone, but out on the road, and you remember that feeling. Um, or maybe it was the first time that you were allowed to spend overnight at a friend's house, and uh, your parents trusted you to go there, and you're going to have a sleepover and, and have some fun. But I realize there are points in our lives, some that we choose, some that are chosen for us, and some, of us, some that are out of our control, moments in time that we're sort of forced or asked to grow up. It's forced or asked to grow up, to grow. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about in this series that will take us through this Easter season uh, from this week up until Pentecost, which is the celebration of birthday of the Big C Church, June 5th, mark your calendars for that. We're going to have a big celebration here. Um, the series that's going to lead up into that time, we're going to look at basically instances in the Gospels when Jesus asks his followers to grow up and to grow on. Because just before Pentecost, this is kind of the uh, 
a little spoiler alert here, but you can read for yourself in the Gospels in Matthew 28. Jesus leaves his disciples and he says, tag, you're it. It's your turn. I'm leaving you. Now you go. You are being sent. But it's interesting that backing up in the scripture, there's kind of a turning point there when Jesus takes from all of him doing the ministry to calling his disciples to begin to learn how to do it themselves. And I think when it comes to growing up, aren't there a lot of great things that come with growing up, right? But also, growing up can be hard. It can be a really hard thing. It stretches us and asks us to do something new. And, and if we look at the scriptures and we look at the people who surrounded Jesus, we kind of see different stages or different places of growth. Kind of, they divide into kind of four uh, cohorts or groups of people. And it kind of looks like this. Uh, with Jesus at the center, that's my little figurine Jesus. I have one of these, by the way, that sits on my desk. But Jesus is, is at the center here. And you can imagine kind of the circles representing closeness to Jesus, proximity to Jesus. Um, but, but starting on the outside, we see in the scriptures, there's this group of people called the crowd. And the gospel writers, they, they, almost like, they personify like this, this body of people as the crowd. And the crowd are always the people that are checking out Jesus. They're surrounding him in that way. They heard something about Jesus, about what he was doing and who he was maybe. They had a lot of questions. Um, but the crowd is not necessarily committed to Jesus. They're kind of figuring things out. They're checking things out. But if we go one step closer, another group we see in the Gospels is the followers. The followers. These are people from the crowd who decide to take one step closer. Some of these people, they followed Jesus around. They didn't just come for a one and done experience, but they followed him around. They came back and they sat there and listened to what Jesus had to say. They observed him time after time after time. They followed him. They followed him around. But from there, from there, the next ringer, next group, is the disciples. The disciples. These are people who were followers, but they were not just following Jesus around anymore. They made a commitment. They made a commitment that they wanted to become like Jesus. At the time, a rabbi would take on disciples or students, and the goal was always for the disciples to want to become like their teacher or rabbi, and that's what these disciples were doing. The word disciple actually means apprentice. An apprentice, somebody you imagine in a wood shop or ironworks or somebody that comes along, the electrician who comes along as an apprentice for a period of time to learn the kind of nuts and bolts of how things work and what they do. But their goal was to become like who they were following. But then we see the furthest inside, the closest to Jesus were the leaders or, or also called his closest friends. Uh, we have Peter, uh, a couple weeks ago, we called him like the fruity pebble himself. Uh, we have James and we have John, the people that were closest to Jesus, who would then also become, uh, in the book of Acts, they would later become leaders of the early church. But at any given moment in time, reflecting on these groups, any given moment of time, there were these four cohorts around Jesus. Even post-resurrection, even after Jesus rose from the grave. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't care 
where you were. He didn't care where you were. If you were a skeptic or if you were part of the crowd, if you were a follower, checking things out, coming time after time, learning and growing, if you were a disciple who was committed or if you were one of the close friends, it didn't matter. But Jesus always did this. He encouraged and challenged people to move and to grow. If you were in the crowd, Jesus asked you to follow. If you were a follower, he asked you to be an apprentice, to be a disciple. If you were a disciple, he called you to be a leader, to begin discipling others. And if you look at the Gospels, and especially the Gospel of Luke, you kind of see this pattern of movement throughout the whole story that the Gospel writer is putting together. At the beginning of the Gospels, we see that most of Jesus' work is done for the benefit of, guess who? The crowds. He starts on the outside, working him in. He does things. What does he do? He whips out miracles, right? He whips out miracles left and right. He heals. He makes water into wine. If you want to gain attention, if you want people to begin to follow you and surround you, that's what you do. And the Gospel writer Luke he says that Jesus' fame spread because of these things. And pretty soon, though, he had a new group around him, the followers that weren't just there for the one-and-done deal. And so uh, he started to gather these people. And then, though, we see that there's a turning point. There's a turning point. From people coming and observing and watching and absorbing what Jesus had to say and do, something happens. And so in Luke chapter 9, we see that all of a sudden, Jesus turns to the people around him and he gives what your parents or guardians did for you. He gives them a growth experiment. A growth experiment. And he delineates this really clearly. And so this is what the gospel says, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 52. We'll have it on the screen. It's also in your notes. Luke tells us, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. See, all of a sudden in the story, the mission has shifted. The, he turned his face towards Jerusalem, which we've just celebrated as, or, and remembered as, as Holy Week. But this is the turning point when he heads in that direction. But also, what it means to follow Jesus was going to change. What it took to follow Jesus was going to change. No longer is Jesus doing everything for all of the people around him. Instead, what does he do? He sent. He sent messengers. He sends people out. It's a new pattern. It's a new shift. And so what Jesus does, he looks at all these people, all these people around him, and he turns to them. And first, he, he starts with the close, or not this, the second closest, the disciples, the 12. He turns to them, and this is what he does in Luke 9, verses 1 to 6. He says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. I think he would have added no GPS. Uh, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, leave their town. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
And so they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This was a growth experiment. This was a test. He sent the disciples. He sent them. It's a turning point. But lest you think this was just for the disciples, a little bit later, he turns to the followers. He turns to the followers. The next step, the next stage out. And he says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and don't greet anyone on the road. So this is for the followers. It's a turning point for the disciples, but then there's also a turning point for the followers. He appoints these, these 72 others, and now he tells them what? He says, I'm sending you out like lambs to wolves. How do you feel if somebody tells you that? It's a little scary, right? It's going to be difficult, he says. This growth thing, it's going to be hard. I remember uh, years ago when I was um, pastoring a church, um, a church that I had, had planted, um, I lived in a parsonage owned by the church that was like next to the church building um, and so I basically shared like a dumpster with the church. This is kind of, it, it'll make sense in a minute. Um, so I shared a dumpster with the church. So I always had to like take, we didn't get like trash collections. So I had to like take my bags out and walk it across the parking lot and like put it in the dumpster and walk back. And, um, and our church had a preschool that was there. We had a bunch of kids. So I got to know the kids through the ministry and that kind of thing. Well, there was this one family that I was used to seeing a lot. And they were neighbors. They lived down the street. And um, this gentleman and his wife, and they had two little boys. Um, they would often ride their bikes. But um, they had this really funky bike. It was like a multi-family or multi-person bike. You had somebody that it was on the front, usually the dad in this case, Joe. And then he would have like the two kids in the middle and they would be seated there. And then you would have the mom who is in the back. But what was interesting is the parent had the pedals and the chain and they had the steering. And the other pieces also had the pedals and also had the chain. But all they had to do was really sit. <laughs> they didn't have to do very much, right? Well, the one day I was going out taking my garbage to the dumpster, I see Joe and one of his sons, who's about, I think, five, four or five years old. And instead of having the family bike, you know what they had? They had a little bike, a little bike. Pastor Jeff, if you could bring this up. They had a little bike, something like this. Yeah, I was going to have Jeff if he could ride this for us. Oh, there we go. <laughs> little boy. Yeah, I think I would, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ride. But he had like a little bike like this. And this is a really cute one. This is actually um, Becca uh, and Alan, their son, Yossi, let me borrow this. I don't know if he knows I borrowed it. But um, anyway, so you have a little bike like this. And what do you notice that's on the bike? The training wheels, right? That's what you do. You, put, you don't put the kid from like, the, the bike that you don't really do anything to the bike that all of a sudden now you have to balance and learn how to steer and do all that kind of stuff. And so... Joe had this little bike with his son, and they were about to ride through the parking lot for their first time. 
And uh, mind you, the church parking lot was a little bit sloped. Um, and so I, while it's great to practice in parking lots, sometimes it's good to be mindful of those types of things. And um, I remember I stopped, and I'm like, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, he's learning to ride the bike. Oh, isn't it really great? And um, we've had it. He's like, oh, yeah, we've had him on the training wheels for, like, a week. I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, he's going to learn to, like, ride, ride the bike. Like, we're, we're taking the training wheels off. And the little boy, he's, like, big, wide-eyed, and he's like, no training wheels? <laughs> he's like, Daddy, are you going to hold on my seat the whole time? Are you going to hold on to me? And Joe, like, looked over. He's like, no. No. And then the little boy, like his eyes on it, if they could grow even bigger, they got even bigger. He said, but what if I fall? And he looked to me. <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to tell him it's not if, but when. <laughs> and you know what I told him? I'm like, yeah, that would hurt. Right? Well, the dad, he put the little boy on the bike. He had him go down the like sloped part one time with the training wheels, pedaling, learning how to steer. And then he got his tools out and removed these guys, sat the bike down, and put the boy on it, and he sent him on his way. And um, I kind of cringed the whole time, and I was like this, you know, because it was not a beautiful crash that first time around. Um, but then I decided to go back to my house, waited out a little bit, and, um, and would you believe it, about 30 minutes later, the little boy, he gets back on course to tears and everything. About 30 minutes later, this kid really caught on fast. Like, he was like riding circles around the lot. It, it was really impressive. Um, but isn't it true that there comes a time in life that you gotta take the training wheels off and go? You just gotta take the training wheels off. And I think that was kind of how the disciples felt, just like this, the little boy, Joe's son. Um, they were kind of like, like Jesus, like when Jesus is telling them these things, they're like, but Jesus, wait, you're the Messiah. We're not the Messiah. Like you're the guy we're following. Like you're the one that's going to do all the ministry. Uh, you were just here to watch. We're just here to learn from you. We're just here to see what you're all about. But Jesus is like, no, it's your turn. It's your turn. And the disciples, I imagine, in their conversation with Jesus, this is not recorded, but I imagine that they said something to the tune of, but what if we're not ready? <laughs> and Jesus said, he said interesting in, in what Luke has to say, he says, I'll put you in pairs. You got a buddy. And I imagine the disciples said, but, but Jesus, I'm not equipped. I don't know what I'm doing. And Jesus said, what does he tell them? Well, basically, you have everything that you need to do what I've called you to do. And imagine they, like my friend's son, also said, but Jesus, this might hurt. And Jesus, just like I responded, well, it's not if, but when. <laughs> because I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. And he sent them. He sent them. But you notice in the scripture, though, what Jesus is asking his followers to do something that he had been doing, to do something that would force them to grow up and to grow on. And you think if he was asking them to do easy things, you check out what he goes on to say in the scripture. Well, the first thing is he said, eat what is put before you. I don't know about you, but you know, some of us have like funky food preferences and that kind of thing. Like, I might not like it, right? I might not like it. And he says, well, eat what's before you, right? 
I'm sending you like, like lambs into the midst of wolves. There may, be town, there may be places that you go and you're not welcome. Guess what? Shake the dust off your shoes and move on. He's not asking them, though, when he goes to these places to do small things, but things he himself was doing, powerful things, things like mentioned healing, things like bringing hope about sharing the good news, proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. When I was in seminary, I, was, um, I took a bunch of youth ministry classes and uh, spiritual formation classes, and, um, and one of the authors um, that I really, really started to develop a liking and admiration for is a guy named James Fowler. And it's a picture of him, but that's more importantly his book. Um, it's called Sages of Faith. And, um, and basically, in his writings and in his work, he applied developmental psychology to faith. It's basically the, the same premise that those of you that are being discipled right now that are in a, this discipleship class, it's kind of the same pre- premise of that that you're, that you're going through. It's kind of, he takes this idea, like, just like in life, there are stages of faith. But unlike life, where we go from being a baby to toddler to you know, preschool age to school age and then kind of teenager and a young adult and so on, Unlike life, the spiritual stages of faith have nothing to do with our age. They have nothing to do with our age. But they do kind of take the form of being kind of a spiritual infant all the way up to being what's like a spiritual parent. I mean, that doesn't matter whether or not you have biological children. It means that you're pouring into others, you're discipling others. And I think one of the things I love about what Fowler has to say is that it's not bad to be at any of those stages. Just like we said, it's not bad to be a part of the crowd or it's not bad to be a follower. It's not bad to be anything, but we have to grow up. We can't stay where we are. Sometimes we keep training wheels on, but we're already grown. We're already grown. So I want you to Turn around to somebody next to you, and I want you to say, I'm too grown. Turn. Say, I'm too grown. I'm too grown. Some of us are too grown. Some of us look like that guy on the little training wheel bike. We've been pedaling, pedaling, pedaling on this little bike. It doesn't fit us anymore. It's time to grow up. God wants to wake you up to see things that are not you anymore. But maybe you've been clinging to it because it's comfortable. But I know this, and you know this that if you stop growing, you get stunted. If you stop growing, you get stunted. You also risk becoming, not becoming the full person that God has created you to be and the deepest possible relationship with him. So my purpose today is simple, to ask, where are you in your development of faith? Where would you put yourself, part of the crowd, a follower, disciple, a leader? Where are you in that journey? And so I want to push some of you who still have the training wheels on your bike of faith, maybe portions of your faith, who maybe have the idea of faith as just being about watching something going on. And I want to challenge you to grow, to grow. And from Luke 9 and 10, I think these scriptures reveal a faith, reveal of a faith, features of a faith, that need to grow. And I think I, I've identified three of them. And, and let me just say this, it's not a negative thing. It's not a negative thing to be at any of these places in our faith. And this is not meant to bash anyone, by the way. 
But I think there's three features of a faith that needs to grow. And the first is when my faith is primarily all about me. It's about my needs and my wants. See, it's interesting. When the crowd formed around Jesus, what did they want? They wanted things for them. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be fed. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to be forgiven. They wanted Jesus to do something for them. Jesus helped them. He helped them, and he helps us, right? That's not a bad thing. But at some point, Jesus challenged them. It was kind of like the John F. Kennedy speech of Jesus, no longer what I can do for you, but what you can do for me. You know, how many of us approach Jesus, approach church, if we're honest about it, with what's in it for me? What am I getting out of it? How can the church help me? How can Jesus, Jesus, can you help me? fulfill my needs, but Jesus breaks that. First, by sending them out together and out to others. When we begin taking our eyes off ourselves and looking at others, it changes us, but it also grows us. Shifts the perspective from our needs to their needs. What will help them move closer to Jesus? Because growth is always relational. It's not by ourselves, it's relational. It's iron sharpens iron, people together. But I think another feature of faith that needs to grow, a sign of faith that needs to grow, is that when I consume much more than I produce, I consume much more than I produce. Think about babies for a second. We have, uh, by the way, we have a nursery that's like full of, of little kids. Little babies, they consume a lot. I mean, talk to any first-time parent or any parent. They consume a lot, and what do they produce? If you change the diaper, you know, right? The full diaper, that's probably about it. <laughs> In the beginning, the followers learned from Jesus. They listened, they were recipients of miracles, but all of a sudden he called them to be producers of things that they had once received. To say, it's no longer just about me and what I get, but what about others? Would they get receive what I have received? How can I be a part of that? And a hallmark statement of, of people that are kind of in this mindset are the words, I didn't get fed today, or I didn't get fed by that, where it's about consuming more than it is about producing. Babies and animals are things that get fed, right? Rarely do we talk about that as adults to say, you know, you go to a dinner and say, I want to get fed today, right? You don't do that, but we, yeah, we say that in church, right? It's a sign that I consume more than I produce. I think some good questions to ask ourselves are, am I primarily a consumer of ministry that others do for me? When was the last time my behavior, my time, my money was used to bring faith in the life of someone else? Another great question. If every prayer of yours was answered today, how many of those would be for others and how many would be about you? Do you pray to God only when the times you need it the most? Or do you pray when things are going well, but maybe you pour prayers in the direction of other people, of neighbors, of coworkers, of the community? There's a story in the um, book that we're going through in the, that discipleship class or the group is going through. A story of a men's group, a men's Bible study, who went on for 20 years. They met with each other religiously every single week, and, and the pastor of the church went to them and asked them, well, you know, this is a great thing that you guys are doing, but he asked how many people that they had discipled over those 20 years, and you know what their answer was? Zero. 
Zero. They never expanded beyond that group to pour their lives into someone else. And of course, there are seasons in our lives that we do need to heal, maybe from a bad church experience. We need to soak in, in community and receive, but that's what they are. They're seasons. Seasons. And seasons are things that lead us into growth. So last piece, last piece kind of feature, when a sign of a faith that needs to grow. I desire to be encouraged but never corrected. Something that, I mean, I could say I personally wrestle with. Um, when I was in college, I um, was a biology major, believe it or not, and, um, <clears throat> and yet I had this um, fascination with economics. Very interesting stuff. I just had taken a class in high school. And so I decided to, as one of my electives, to take um, Econ 101. And I heard of different professors, what they taught and who was good, who wasn't. You know, teachers, students always talk about that kind of stuff and go, you know, go online and do your professor rankings or whatever they do. What is it called? RateMyProfessor.com? Okay. Anyway, so RateMyProfessor.com and you try to figure out these things. Well, there was this one guy, one professor, Professor Turchi. I remember his name. <clears throat> kind of a strange, strange name. Professor Turchi was known as the absolutely hardest econ professor, that you were happy if you exited that class, you left that class with a B. You were lucky, like that was like the top grades. So, um, so I thought about it, and I also heard though from other fellow students that had taken his class, that they had learned the most that they had ever imagined out of that class and out of teaching. And so I decided to take his class. First, it was pretty convenient for me, it was at a good time, um, I have to admit that, but also um, I, I decided to enter that class because I wanted to expand my knowledge and learn. And I have to say, it was probably, one, besides like, what was it, genetics and like uh, organic chemistry, it was like one of like the absolute hardest classes I have ever taken in my entire life. And I went to like the, they had a recitation study session afterwards, and I went to all these different things. And I remember really wrestling with reading and the concepts and, and, I have to say that I don't remember what I got in the class, but I do, I do have to say I learned the most. I learned the most. See, Jesus, when he began his ministry, he began it as an encourager in many ways. Once again, to meet the needs of the crowd. But in Luke 9, as he turns towards Jerusalem, no longer is he singing only the song, what a friend we have in Jesus. He starts correcting them. He starts correcting his disciples, rebuking them in some instances that seem kind of harsh. And I think for many of us, you know, many of us choose a church or a setting, you know, that aligns with what we believe. You know, I did even when I came here. It's like, okay, this is a good fit. This is a good alignment. Um, and I think we all want to be start. We all want to start there. We want to be built up. We want to be encouraged. Uh, but there comes a point. That that even for Jesus and his followers, there comes a point that he issued them a challenge, that it's good to be challenged. See, Jesus said, I'm going to change things from here on out. I'm gonna give you a foretaste of what is to come. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you that being challenged and corrected in our experience with Christ, it's, it's a good thing. If we're constantly only encouraged and only pat on the back and you're doing a good job, then Jesus even says this to his disciples, you know, then you're not going to be prepared for the time that I'm not with you in the same way. So friends, kind of bringing this all together, I think for us, it's the time, it's time to take off the training wheels. 
And maybe this is for you in faith. Maybe there's another aspect of your life that God is speaking to you about right now. But it's time to take off the training wheels. And I think in some ways we're at that place in the life of our church as well. That it's time to launch out, to, to try new things, to experiment, to say, hey, you know what, maybe we haven't done this way before, but it's time to see what happens, to see what God has in store. And I recognize, too, that there's many of us here that are new to faith. Some people that are back in church the first time in decades, and that's an amazing thing. We have skeptics as well as very seasoned followers, mature followers of Christ. But part of my job as pastor is first to love you where you are, but it's also to challenge you to grow, to push you to grow on. And so the next five weeks, we're going to dive into this mission that Jesus sent his disciples on. We're going to consider how our own faith can be taken outside these four walls and into the villages, the towns, and not developing another program, or, but basically seeing our life as a ministry and seeing opportunities for us to grow. What does faith ask us to do? What does it mean for our faith to not remain in our heads as knowledge or even as our hearts, but to be lived out and evident in our lives? Are we becoming more like Jesus? That's what discipleship is about. See, at its core, Christianity is an invitation to re-enter a relationship of trust, a relationship of trust with God. And at the cross, sin was forgiven, but we were also invited to trust, to believe, to enter into relationship. See, walking by faith is simply living as if Jesus is who he says he is and believing that he will do what he has promised to do. And as our confidence grows in him, so do we. So do we. And my hope, my hope is that this idea sounds intriguing, that it sounds somewhat frightening, and it's also challenging. The most important question for you to ask in today is where am I in my faith? Have I been hanging out in that little circle for quite a while? And could this season be the one in which God is calling me to take off the training wheels and to grow, to grow on?